Yo, what's good, ladies and gentlemen? It is your man, B. Vaughn, here with We Create Music TV. Thank you for joining us for another interview segment. Today, tonight, whenever you watch it, we have a super talented, award-winning, super talented singer, songwriter, entertainer, amazing individual. So I want you all to give it up for Amani Ilfated. Give it up. Thank you. Give it up. Amani, welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, how are you? Yes, thank you for being here. How are you? Yeah, I am doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I am doing fabulous. I'm doing great. Today is, a, is an amazing day. Today is a day I've been waiting for to get here since March 8th. Oh, it's finally here today. So finally. <laughs> finally. So people who, who've been watching the show, you've know they all know I've been talking about this. I am an Apple user and I've been waiting for my Apple computer to arrive for an entire month. So it just got here today. Yes. yes. Apple, thanks for sending it to your boy. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm happy that it's finally here and I get to play around with it after this interview. But Anyway, let's talk about the real purpose of why we're here, which is Amani. So Amani, if you can just talk to us about how did you get started in this whole music world? Wow. So my first my first start in the music industry um, started when I was four years old. Um, we just came from Africa. Um, I came off of listening to a lot of Kandabonga man, Congolese music, and just got introduced to Canadian music. And then one day I was in the living room playing lava with my brothers and my sister, and I saw Celine Dion on TV. I had no idea what exactly she was doing, but Celine I just Dion. knew in my heart that I needed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she probably was. You probably was catching her doing her live Titanic performance. Oh uh, yes, yeah. I think it was yes. just before Titanic. But whatever she was doing, her voice was amazing, and she had the microphone and the diva moves. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. So, so where did you grow up? So you grew up in in, in Toronto. Uh, actually, I grew up in Saskatchewan. 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 Yes. Yeah. From yeah. The, Saskatchewan. Uh... <laughs> The warmth of South Sudan, of what's now known as South Sudan, to mm. the middle of the cold snow winter mm -hmm. of Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Saskatchewan, I've heard, is it's cold. Oh yeah, like <laughs> it is cold. <laughs> I, I mean, like cold, like when it's when. Oh gosh, like, I don't know, like like how do you survive when it's that when it's that cold? I don't. Well, I guess so... I can get it, but. Yeah. Well, trick number one is to stay inside. <laughs> the best trick in the book. Yes. And then <laughs> trick number two is to have all wool, everything, including long johns. That's mm. just how you have to roll there. Yeah. Because, wow. I don't know if I could do that. So so for you, was 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 that like your moment? Like when you, you knew at that moment, this is it. I am going to be a singer and I'm going to do it just like Celine Dion. Yes, wow. I knew that very moment. It was like, you know, all the decisions I look back on, that was the one decision that I was 100% committed to. Wow. At, yeah. at the age of four? Yes. Yeah. Can you, I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a policewoman. I don't want to be, 
I want to be a singer. Yes. And I didn't even know what it was called. I just knew that that is what I wanted to mm. do. Because <laughs> you heard you heard that angelic voice. And yes. I was like, that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> wow. So, so I read a lot about your background uh, and I read a lot about just things that I, I've searched for on the internet about you as an individual. And as I was reading and combing through all of this, this information that I was, I was finding, uh, it, it, it said that you grew up as, uh, well, it said that, let me make sure I get it right. It said that you were a refugee that ended up in Canada. So how did that, how did that whole story come about? How did you get from where you were into to Canada as a refugee? Uh, so in around 1991, uh, the region that we were in, which is right on the border of uh, Uganda, um, basically they broke out into their civil war again. Uh, mm -hmm. So basically north the north of Sudan was fighting the south of Sudan. Um, and a lot of atrocities were happening. Our village got bombed. Uh, the village is oh. called Kaya. So we had to go into Congo, um, from there, we went to Uganda. We wound up in a refugee camp in, uh, in Ajumani. Mm. Uh, a lot of South Sudanese, uh, uh, refugees were there too. Um, so from there, we were there for almost eight months. And then there was an attempt on my dad's life that, uh, you know, wow. gave us the golden ticket to kind of get out cause they were concerned for, you know, his safety. And then, you know, obviously he has a family, he should be taking the family with him. So we got the golden ticket to come to Canada from there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, I'm just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So I know. Shocking. Shocking. I know that yeah. must've been a very, I mean, and, and I'm sure you were a young age and I mean, think about being at such a young age, the, that must have been a very traumatic experience for you as a young individual, a young woman to kind of go through that uh, and, and to experience that. You know, most people don't experience. I mean, you look at most people in America, they're like, yeah, I've never experienced nothing like that. Like I've been on welfare, but yeah. welfare don't even count close to what you just. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's quite an experience. Yeah. So so how how did that how did that experience impact you as as a music creative as someone who eventually got into music i'm sure that's the, that's a part of your history and that's a, been a part of your journey so how has that impacted what you do as an as an artist uh i would say that that whole the whole refugee incident uh the whole moving to canada all of that it's kind of the core of my music um, coming from an environment that's very chaotic, that has so many different things going on. You have shootings, but you also have a very vibrant culture that just kind of merged into, you know, into my music. Um, and then also coming to Canada where things are peaceful, but, you know, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to learn a whole new culture while keeping your culture. So all of that just mm. piled on into my music. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the music here in just a little oh, yeah. bit as well. But yeah, I, I think I can hear hear that in your music. Your music, we'll get to it. I don't want to skip the. Yeah. I want to skip around and talk. Actually, talk about the music <laughs> that I 
had a chance to be blessed with today. But I just think it's very interesting uh, because a lot of the things that you were talking about, here's what I found interesting is you mentioned something about when you eventually got to Canada and was growing up in, in Canada. You were raised, or, or let me make sure I get this correct. It was something to the effect of you never saw black people in these different types of roles, police officers, businessmen, they either were sports people, uh, they either were, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about how all of that, but can, can talk about that, because I think that has a big impact on what you see and how that influences you as, even as a, a young black woman. Yeah, so growing up I, in Saskatchewan, majority of the population is white. Um, so me being like the only black girl in school sometimes, or we're the only black family in, you know, a 100 kilometer, you know, uh, circumference there, like it's, it was difficult uh, for, for us to to manage and then for me it was uh at home we had this whole culture that we had to follow which was like the south sudanese culture um where everything was like strict everything was rigid everything was you know the man is the head of the household the woman is you know there to kind of you know serve and help the man um and then going out of there where everybody's free to do whatever they want but then on top of that there's this whole thing about being black where it's like you had these limitations where if you try to aspire mm. for something people look at you funny so for example i'd have like a, a white friend who wanted to become a doctor and everyone would be like oh yeah that's definitely possible and you know they they can speak to them in a way where they're actually entertaining the idea where mm -hmm. for a black person coming in then saying you know we want to be i want to be a doctor it's kind of like a pat on the head like good for you oh wow you know yeah and even like started to show even with church um when my dad when we we came my dad started working as a janitor um you know a lot as a lot of refugees immigrants do mm. they take jobs that maybe aren't the best at the time and as he built up his his uh resume and started to get a job that paid a lot more and you know he had a title and everything working with the government um we went to the church and I remember this was kind of the last few months that we started we went to church and you know, they treated us like we were still refugees. They were trying to donate food to us, even though my dad was saying, no, we're actually stable. We just bought a house. We bought a car, you know, <laughs> we're now stable. Now we can help other people. But they just looked at us like, no, we are supposed to continue to donate food and clothing to you because you're refugees. So we were not allowed to shed that title, which wow. is just the most bizarre thing. And then we that's stopped so going to that church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's. That's so crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm thinking about it like, <laughs> like why would they do that? Right? It, it's it's it was almost like they wanted to classify you in a certain segment or, or classification that you couldn't rise out of because of the limitations that they were placing on you. Like and that's the thing. Those they were trying to place those limitations on you, but I mean you're limitless you know what i mean like there's no boundaries you know and and it's just surprising well i don't know if it's really surprising let me let me take that back i think that's been the stigma for a very long time and yeah especially especially in america right and it's it's 
like, wow, Canada has the same type of behavior? Hmm. But then I think back from a historical perspective, like, yeah, they do. Like, yeah, I heard about some of the stuff they did to, up there in Canada. Like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, y'all just as y'all just as dirty as America. So don't even act like y'all. But the way clean. they do it, but. they do it like quietly. Mm -hmm. So it's like the racism is very polite mm -hmm. <laughs> to put it. So, you know, rather than going out and just saying, you know, I don't like black people, they'll be like, we love black people, but then they will exclude black people from the entire thing so when you go and say oh how come there isn't a single black person on this bill or wow. on this committee or on this board they say oh there was just no black person that you know fit the qualifications so when we oh, find yeah. someone like that we'll mm -hmm. put them on the board or on the bill or something and it's like but there's plenty right out here what's going right. on you know that, that was kind of the kind of one of the reasons why in America, the affirmative action came about, and it wasn't so much about right. So I want to. There's a whole history that goes behind affirmative affirmative action and why they did it and who implemented it and the real purpose of it. So I'll just say the real bottom line of it was to get black people in positions that black people probably would never been in. Right? People can argue up and down whether that's true or not, whatever. But that's really what the whole purpose of equal opportunity, affirmative action. Right. That's why they put all America started putting all these laws into place, uh, like the EEOC, right? The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, all these other things that they put into place. Because when I, when, that's very interesting. When I start, when I look in the, and I know this is not about this, but when I look at the landscape of American business, it's the same thing, same thing. The the workers and the middle management can be. You can have a middle management position that's Great. You can be a vice president, but you will never be. And that's so sad that I, I'm, I don't even want to say it that way because it's not true. But that's the way that it's perceived, that you couldn't be the CEO. So when I look at a lot of organizations that have, uh, you know, their structure, I rarely see people of color in those positions. And it's like, yeah. why not? They're super qualified to be in those same positions as well. But it's the same thing. We love you. Or at least we... Let, let you perceive yeah. that we love you, the but we don't want to include you, but we don't want to include you into these, you know, these positions where you're going to be making, you know, decisions and impacting a lot of not. We don't want to put you in those. But anyway, I just I, I think that's interesting. I mean, do you think that had an impact on on your music at, at all? Are you trying to step out into that world and be an artist? Yeah, it had actually it's interesting. It had a positive um, impact on me and my music and just who I am in general. Um, I just remember hearing my dad's story um, when he, you know, moved from a janitor to suddenly he was the supervising lead of an entire team. And before he got that role, um, there were all these people talking. The majority of the of the, the workplace was was white, and they said they didn't want to answer to a black man. And I just remember hearing that and thinking to myself, like, okay, but, you know, my dad worked so hard. I saw him reading books. I saw him, you know, reading books that he didn't need to read even for his position. But he thought that maybe there's some education, mm. something in there that he could use to get into a higher position. So I kind of took all of that, you know, ethic into my own hands with my career as well. So I wanted to learn the production end. I wanted to learn the business end of music. I wanted to know as much as possible so that I can be overqualified for the position, you know, mm. 
because I already know what the competition is going to be. Everyone's going to be saying this. Everyone's going to be saying that. I may get lose roles because of of because I'm black. Mm. So that's how I just kind of approach not just music but also life in general. Right. That's such a shame. And so I'm, I'm sure, right? And I've had many conversations with women in music and they all kind of have some of the same similar things that, that have come up, right? So for you, as an example, talking about what you just, you just mentioned, okay, of course, being a black woman, but I've talked to all races of women. Well, there's only one race, but I would say all shades and colors of, of people, whether they're black, white, brown skin, uh, it doesn't matter, but they all kind of share the same similar type of story that goes that comes with it. And it's the fact of it's it's not racism in the music industry. It's pretty much inequality in the music industry yeah. from being a male, you being a female. Right. Uh, I mean, how have you dealt with that? How have you dealt with that inequality uh, in this business when it seems like males get ahead and females kind of get get dogged or, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that kind of, I guess, goes in there, which I 100% believe is unfair. But how have you dealt with that? For me, I'm still in the process of learning how to deal with it. But some of the stuff that I've just kind of, you know, done is just understand that, yeah, this is the reality. Um, So I just have to navigate around it. me being like, I understand the production end of music. So, you know, sometimes I'll go into studio and tell a guy that I need something like this and like this, and I'm using the right, correct terms for it. Mm -hmm. But the person still feels the need to like, tell me I'm wrong, which is like, okay. So, you know, you can Uh, accept it and be like, okay, fine. Maybe, maybe I was wrong and I'll just say that. And the next thing Mm. you know, they're mansplaining something to me and it's like okay that's that's wonderful but you know that i also took the same courses that you took Mm -hmm. so but still it's never enough so for me i just decided that like it's better to just stay away from those people you know the moment you start to feel that this person is just uh you know in the way um then just back away if you have to deal with that person then usually what i would do is i'd get a friend usually an older friend um you know, an older woman or a Mm -hmm. a guy to come in and just kind of like ask the questions and mediate and kind of figure out what's going on. A majority of the time when there's a discrepancy like that, it's just ego, you know, Mm. it's the person's ego acting up. So a lot of his ego. Yeah. How do you know more than I do? How do you know what a reverb is? How do you know what, what a compressor (laughs) is? Like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to know those types of things. You're supposed to just write songs and sing. And it's like, yeah. no, I know a whole lot more than you think. I think that is so sad. I think that is so sad that yeah. it happens. It happens in the business world. It happens in regular life. It happens in the music life. I just, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I understand that people have are, are weak, right? And that's how their weakness can be shown by doing that that type of behavior and those type of actions. Shoot, you know, I know most people go, they, people ask the question, would you, and, and I have I been in this situation? I've been in this situation, but it really wouldn't matter to me, is would you be okay with your wife making more than you? Heck yeah, I sure would. That means she doing her stuff, like she out there killing it. 
why wouldn't I want that? Why does that make me less of a man? No, she's her own independent woman. She's doing her stuff. <laughs> Do it, because I know she's doing it. I trust me. I know she's doing it. Guess what? <laughs> Your boy's doing it too, because it's going to be yeah. encouraging. I'm going to be like, yo, she out here rocking it. Let me go in and see. Let me go and get on board. What she doing? Yeah, no, it's oh gosh, yeah. you have no idea how much that urged me so bad. Like. Oh, it's man. it's all ego at the end of the it's day all it's all ego and all ego. you know that's something that's a challenge that you know everybody has to face mm -hmm. um on this planet um just you know in this era this this uh, few years it's been a lot on the the male ego right. i've noticed a lot of right. uh people discussing that so i think maybe in 10 years from now maybe that will be something maybe it'll change hopefully well, i don't That'll know it's like yeah. that for 100 plus years already <laughs> But, you know, I find it funny that that your father had that tenacity to to really just say, you know what? No, you're not going to limit me. You're not going to bound me. You're not going to put me in a box and I'm going to do whatever I need to do in order to make it for myself and for my family, regardless of what any of y'all say, because it's so weird when you share that story. I immediately thought back to a situation I found my own self in like, oh, wow. So. So my back, people know when they watch the show, I'll give a little bit about my background, but my background is in organizational development and leadership. I've been doing it since like 1999. And so I have gone around the country and I've trained CEOs of Fortune 100, Fortune 50 organizations on how to be effective leaders and how to lead teams effectively. Right. So that's what I did or still do. It's not that I, I'm, I still do that on <laughs> my job today. So, but there was a point in my life when I was questioning my own competency because of the people that I was, I am now talking to CEOs of organizations and there's all white guys, right? And I got to a point, I was like, why do these white guys want to listen to me, a black guy? And I was like, oh, and that really hit me like one day it just, why do they want to listen to me? They're white. Like, what would they learn from me? They're probably looking at me like, what does black guy got to teach us? But once once I got over it, because I got over that. But once I That's got good. over it, it was like, oh, here's why you need to listen to me. And after, after that, oh, there was no, we don't need to listen to him. Or at least the perception that I was perceiving within myself that they didn't need to listen to me. Because I showed them why. And I continue to still show them why today, but... And so they're like, yeah, give us what you got. We need what you got. And, but I just find it interesting. I wonder how many other brothers and sisters out there that feel that way or have that uh, type of, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome. I don't know if I would call it that. But it's it's that, I don't know. It happens in the music industry all the time, right? It happens all the time. And I see people who do it and it's like, one, don't worry about what other people are saying about you and how they're judging you. Be you. Do you. Learn what you need to learn, you know, so that you can be the best person you can be, the best artist, music producer, whatever it is, lawyer, doesn't matter, that you can be. Learn what you need to learn and go be the best at that. But people will try to limit you. People will try to put you in a box. And it is because of their own ego and it is because of their own weakness as an individual. So, yeah, so enough of that. But I was just interested. Oh, you said it. You said it really well, though. You said it define. very well. Yeah, y'all know y'all. 
I'll tell them, y'all weak. Stop being like that. Y'all got that SWV number. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay, so for for you, Amani, what was the most important period in your life that impacted you the most? Outside of this Celine Dion at four years old, what was the most important period for you? So I would say it, it was in 2019 because um, I've been doing music all this time, you know, making songs, going to studio and everything. And in 2019, I had that imposter moment, uh, imposter syndrome moment where um, I got invited to do a show uh, in Minneapolis for South Sudan Unite uh, with the NBA player Luol Deng. Um, so he was hosting this conference and it was my first time performing in the U.S. And mm. I just, I remember I was on the plane and I was thinking to myself, of all the people that he could possibly invite to perform at this show, why me? <laughs> you know? Why me? What do I have that, you know, qualifies me for this? And I'm seeing the stage and the microphones and the lights. It was like everything was so, mm. so large security and yeah, it was amazing. And I just thought to myself, like, wow, this is this is just so incredible, so wonderful, so exciting. But why am I here? Mm -hmm. And uh, I had this conversation with him and we started talking about like the status of, our, of, of South Sudan, you know, where it's going and, you know, the reason all for the the conference to take place. And I just realized, you know what, this is deeper than than what even me. It's deeper than me. So I'm representing, you know, a whole marginalized community. I'm representing a whole country, mm. you know, a whole continent as well. So that's the mission. So I've been chosen for this mission. It's not about why me, I can't focus on that. And from there, music wise, I just been pushing, pushing, pushing and, you know, growing. And that's been my biggest motivation um, since then. That's good. Sorry, I got I got stuck. You got stuck. Okay. <laughs> I did. My, my wire got my wire got stuck on my watch, and I was like, "Ah, I can't switch oh, back." Oh no! <laughs> I can't switch back. Wait. No, I think that's one that had to be an insurmountable amount of pressure. That walking out in that was that your very first type of live performance in that type of setting. Yes. Oh gosh! With the yes. screen and my name in life. Oh yeah, no. and two thousand people in the audience, and they You're all like... know my name. And and there were some celebrities in the audience too. I was like, I just yes. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so did you have that? Did you have that conversation before or after? Um, we had the conversation just before I got on stage. Okay, yeah. did that help calm your nerves? Yeah, it, it not only yeah, helped calm sure. my nerves, but it just gave me this like purpose for when I got on the stage. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, we, you know, you learn the talent, you learn to sing, you learn the back end of music, you learn to produce, but you can't learn purpose, you know, the mm -hmm. purpose just comes to you. And that's the missing ingredient for, for everything. Mm -hmm. So that, that's just like, yeah, really propelled me from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured it probably would. Cause when you said you saw the stage and the lights and security and all, you were like, but then that's why I wanted to know if you had that conversation prior, because having yeah. a conversation like that prior will put your mind at a, in a different, a completely different space where you're like, OK, I'm going to go out here and kill it because I know exactly what my purpose is. But I love how you said that your your you can't like make your purpose. Your purpose comes to you you're like, boom, there it is. 
And I yeah. wish so many more people had a true purpose of why they did what they did versus, oh, I got to have money. I got to have cars. I got to have girls like or guys. Right. Yeah. Like have a purpose for why you do what you do. Like it can't just be all about the bag. Oh, my gosh. Like it has to be for a legit reason. Why are you really, truly doing this? What mission have you set up for yourself? Your purpose? Like, exactly. Go, yeah, and I think, I think the main th the reason why a lot of people are caught up in that, too, is because with purpose, there's pain. Mm. You have to go through all this pain. You have to go through your ego as well. you got to go through this journey just to get that purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and for a lot of people, even for me, it was extremely difficult to get through all of that stuff and you know, so I can imagine for someone else, they'd probably just shut down at the first gate or the second mm. gate and, and, you know, carry on with something else or just, you know, put a veil of, you know, to protect themselves because it's a difficult journey to get to That's that right. purpose. And who likes pain? And nobody. Nobody. Nobody likes pain. <laughs> nobody likes pain. But you know what they say? No pain, no gain. Exactly. No risk, exactly. no reward. Right. Yeah. You, you got to go through. You have to go through stuff in order to achieve yeah. greatness. Nobody who's achieved greatness is they've all gone through something. Yeah. Everybody. There's always something. There's yeah. always, always something. Right. You know, so, you know, I know we've been talking about uh, in, in your in the conversation, we've been mentioning uh, Sudan and Uganda. I actually have a friend. Well, you know, he's an acquaintance uh, that okay. lives in uh, in Uganda. Kampala. He lives in in um, Kampala, Uganda, uh, and he used to be a, he used to be a soccer player, uh, but he got injured, and now he is a, oh he was a coach for the boys soccer uh, team in Uganda, but now he go he travels the world and he does speaking engagements, uh, all about his experience and all that stuff. So that's what he does. His name is Stone, Stone Kayambade, but that's what he okay. yeah but that's but that's what he does. Um, but I remember the very first time I had a chance to talk with him about his experience. And I was just so in awe of his experience and the things that he's that he's done. It's like, wow. But for you, it's, you have something similar like that as well, right? So I learned about something called Kaya Dreams Foundation. So what is that? Talk about the Kaya Dreams Foundation and what the purpose is and the mission. And I, I hear there's some music involved in this whole thing, too. Yes. Um, so Kaya Dreams, the village that I was born in is called Kaya. Um, and like I mentioned to you before, it got blown up, you know, multiple times. It's gotten burned down. Um, so to be from there is kind of like uh, you don't hear a lot of people that are from there. Uh, so when we came to the refugee camp from Kaya, um, Basically, we got the ticket to get out of the refugee camp. And I always just thought, like, you know, we're leaving a lot of people behind. There were children that didn't get the opportunity that me and my sister got or my dad got or my mom got to go to another country and be able to build their dreams and to be able to, you know, get the education that they need just to even get the tools to, to start what they want to do. So uh, I started the foundation to help children to get into educational programs to get into school and to basically build their lives from there uh so that's where the foundation comes from and um with the music it's uh i also would like to be helping children with music uh people with music um in south sudan so while i was in south sudan recently 
you know, was going around working with different musicians, working with different producers. Uh, so I wanted the Kaya to be kind of the mission, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about one person can come from a tiny little village and make an impact on the whole entire planet. So mm. that's where it comes from. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that yeah. because I, I think that is so awesome. That is a way to live out your purpose and yeah. to, to impact other people's lives that, because you may have found yourself in that situation prior, oh. right? And so now you want to give back and now you want to help those individuals be better and maybe get out of that same situation as well. So kudos to you. When I read that, I was like, oh, and like, it reminds me of what Stone was doing with the boys. Um, yeah. And so that's that's awesome. That is so awesome because even with even with the boys that he was working with, a lot of them went on to be national football players. Right. And so for all of you, of course, it's soccer. Right. It's not like football yeah. over here. It's actual soccer. It's different, right. Yeah. What we call soccer and, and football for them is, 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 is the same. But our football is different. But and, and that's what he was doing. And, and so but he was teaching those boys how to be men, not how to be soccer players. And that's what I admire so much about what Stone was doing. I mean, he took the fatherless. He took uh, the homeless. He took the kids on the street that were. Uh, bad or presumed to be bad, and some of them were bad, but it gave them purpose. And that's what I love about what you're doing with Kaya Dreams is you're giving them purpose. You're giving them a mission. And I think that that is hands down. <laughs> if nothing else out of this interview, hands down, that's the best thing. <laughs> the best thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's, it is giving them like a, a mission. And honestly, uh, when I went, we pick, we actually put uh, five kids uh, into school in Kampala. Uh, that was in January. Kampala. And going into the refugee camps to select the children, it was just it was it was difficult to see, you know, the mm. circumstances that they're in then. And it was just also like life-changing to see how the environment is and then to take them from there and to watch them even walk onto the school property and know that you know this is now their new life this is now their new opportunity and just to see the looks on their faces when they're just ready to do what they need to do i remember one of them his name is is got my he sat me down and he's like i promise i promise i'm gonna do good and i was just thinking to myself like you don't even need to succeed in this in the school if you don't want to just take any opportunity you have here. It's not really about getting the best grades in the world. It's about, you know, living, living free and building yourself and becoming the person that you want to be. Uh, so yeah, what you were mentioning was definitely making, you know, people into men, into women. That's the main mm -hmm. point. That's right. So once again, kudos, shout out to <laughs> you. But I hear there's a, a, some music that's coming out of there somewhere. And so I'm interested in hearing the music that comes from what you're working on with the Kaya Dreams Foundation. So, yes. so speaking of music, mm -hmm. I had a chance to listen to some music. Right? Okay. First of all, I got this is what I got to say. Most of the time, when you listen to to music from an artist, you can kind of tell what type of artist they are, right? You can kind of start to construct what type of artist they are. You can go, okay, you can listen to, to their album and go, a lot of these are pretty similar. At least at least they have the same type of consistency when it comes to the style of music. Now you know, not Amani, okay? 
I'll tell you now, ladies and gentlemen, is, is the word eclectic? Is that is that what we want to say? Yeah. Yeah, I want to say eclectic, <laughs> right? Um, Game-changing, groundbreaking, super eclectic. Yes. I heard one song, and then I heard another song. I was like, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> These are two completely different types of songs, but by the same person, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the first song that I want to talk about, uh, so if you could talk to us about how you came up with this song and the meaning behind the song itself. So the first song and this song and, and the next song, oh gosh, it is completely different. If I could play them, you would hear the difference between the two. Okay, so for this first song is Higher. Mm-hmm. So let's talk so about Higher. That. Yes. Okay. So how did that song came about? What was the, the, the meaning of that song? So that song, um, it actually was supposed to be just like a nothing song. Um, I got uh, in, invited to do a, a song for the, the Voice Portugal. So they needed a song for the show and it needed to be very inspirational. And to be honest, during that time, I was in a mood. I had a particular mood that I had, but um, the producer was saying, I think you can do this. So I said, yeah, I think I can do it. Listen to the song, wrote it. Um, and then from there, it didn't make it to the voice, but it wound up, you know, just somewhere in a catalog somewhere. I, I actually even forgot mm. about the song. And the producer called me one day and he's like, listen, if you're not using this song, I'm going to give it to someone else. <laughs> and I don't know, that morning, I oh I was like what? ready to text sure, but I didn't hit send. And I just, I was mm. like kind of upset that he was going to send it to someone else. So I said, no, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to come into the studio and I'm going to hit that note and I'm going to sing it very well. And so I did it and we had the song ready to go. And I thought, okay, you know what? This thing doesn't fit anywhere. I'm not going to release it after all, but you know, maybe we can just keep it as a secret song here and there. Mm. And I fell into the you know, terrible, terrible depression and was hospitalized for about two weeks oh, in wow. uh, December of 2020. And during that time, you know, I was still trying to rebuild myself, get my myself uh, back up. And I remember just listening to that song and I'm like, this is exactly the song that I needed to hear right now. And it just wound up, you know, helping me through that, uh, that, uh, that depression that I was going through. Yeah. Wow. I, I think about that. It was a song that you created. You were going to do nothing with the song. And all of a sudden you were like, no, I'm going to come and do it. And it was a song that helped you deal with the things that you were going through. And how yeah. often do we find ourselves connected to a song where there's something that we created or something that somebody else created, but those songs help us get through certain periods in our life, whether we're battling depression, whether we're battling anxiety or some type of, of issue that we may be, we may be faced with. But yeah. your song got you through what you were you were dealing with, and d- depression is real, people. Like it is no, it is no joke. It, it can hit anybody at any time, at any age, anywhere, for any reason. So I love the fact that in the uh, was it in the video? It was in the video. You put the number to uh, the helpline. Was it yes. in the video, or was it in the live performance video? Um. It was in the video. I, I think it was yeah. in the video. Yep, it was yeah. in the video. And I was mm-hmm. like, kudos. I like that. Because anybody that may be battling with that at that particular moment, because you never know how people find songs, when they listen to songs, how people hear it and connect with it and go, I'm glad you put that there. Because I was just at the brink of whatever that may yeah. be. But your word saved me. And then I saw that number and I called it. 
Like, I think that's just, yeah. Yeah. But how dare he yeah. say he's going to send it to somebody else? But you do know that ha- happens all the time. That happens all you the know time. what? I think I think it was words of encouragement, actually, because I think he mm. knew that, because uh, I don't think he actually really sent it to the other person and entertained it. I think he just thought that he was going to say this just to get me out of bed. Mm. Like, you know, something with it. I'm gonna send this over to the other person. They gonna make it a hit. Yeah. What? Oh no. Nah. I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm gonna be there <laughs> oh, in nah. one hour. I was there in one hour recording it. Yeah. Like, and I'm gonna make it a hit. Anybody else yeah. gonna do it besides me? Good. Exactly. That was that was the feeling that I got listening to Hire and seeing the video itself was an uplifting a, a song that will uplift your spirit so that you're able to continue the fight with whatever you may be dealing with. And and I can I can connect with that in the song, and I, I thought that I thought that was perfect. So, yeah. next song, which is completely different. Com- mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, it's completely different. <laughs> sit back. Uh, I knew it was going to be sit. You back. know, it was it was like completely different. I was like, wait a minute, I love to listen to this, and now I'm seeing this. This is and listen, this is different. wow yeah sit back wow so sit sit back back was just all this pent-up frustration that i had um not just with the music industry but just in like day-to-day um dating you know walking with men with friendships and everything like that it was always getting stereotyped into this one thing um so growing up i was it's going to sound bizarre, but I was a bit of a nerd. Um, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but uh, yeah, I was always reading textbooks, always reading, you know, something about science. I learned, you know, four different languages. I learned how to do things that normal people wouldn't really aspire to do. Like one day I'll decide to learn how to do the splits. The next day I'm studying chemistry. And the thing is that a lot of people kind of just looked at me and said that, you know, oh, you're you're black and black women are just like this and therefore Mm. that. So if I come in and I say, okay, I'm speaking Russian today. And they're like, no, you're black. You can't speak Russian. You need to go back into this box and Mm -hmm. be there. The black box, the black box or the the guys. When I started dating, it was um, luckily I had a lot of really great guys that I dated, but there were some guys who would come in and say, Hey, you know, I've never been with a black woman before. So, you know, I want to try like, the experience. So this, is my, this is my fetish and fantasy right here. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, well, I'm not like I'm not in a in a shopping center on the on the racks where you could be like, hey, let me just try a sample of this. I'm not. It's right. not I have feelings and I have emotions. And also just, you know, in, in, a, in our culture, too, we have this terrible thing that's been going on, not just in my country, but in Africa in general, where the color of your skin is extremely important, which is bizarre because you think, the you know, over here it's bad, there it's worse. Everyone wants to be brown skinned or light skinned, so they're bleaching their skin to, to become that rather than yeah. dark. And for me, I've never bleached, but I get accused of bleaching mm. from, you know, Africans and then from Americans, I get accused of being too dark and too dark, this. Right. I'm not. I'm not wow. South Sudanese because I don't have dark skin. So I was like, "What is going on? What is the image of a black woman here? You know, mm. what what is a black woman allowed to be?" And in that song, it was just you know, when I first heard the beat, I was like, "This is exactly what it is." And it's just, I think black women are powerful, are strong, are capable of being right. anything. You know, anything, 
if a white woman can do it, if an Asian woman can do it, a black woman can do it too. Definitely. I don't understand why, why everything has to be categorized into just this one tiny box here. So that's where the, the, I guess the anger in sit back mm. comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you was like, oh yeah, you, you got your Chloe Bailey on in that song. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was oh, like, yeah. she, she went Chloe Bailey in this one. Like if y'all haven't seen that sit back video, she got <laughs> Chloe Bailey on. Walking around, walking in the beginning, and she had the, like the the gold um, uh, yeah. face mask thing on with the little. Oh yeah, she was. Yeah. She was like, I'm gonna get my. And she leaned over that thing. She was like, Oh, I'm about to show you. <laughs> yeah. You think I'm just gonna sit back and take this? Uh -uh. Oh nah, I'm gonna show you. And boy, <laughs> then I, I go back and I look at higher and I go, and then sit back and yeah. go, Yeah, these two completely different songs. Same person. <laughs> Completely different. That's how I can tell when when uh, songwriters and singers are in a, a certain mood by the certain songs they put out. It's like, oh, you must have been feeling like something was really going on with this song. And that's I can I can tell that with, with Sit Back. Yeah, you were like, yeah. I ain't taking it. You think I'm just going to sit back? No. no get my Chloe on. Get my Chloe on. I'm going to be leaning back and then arching and then it's going to flip the screen and then flip back. And then it, I was like, yo, oh, yeah. look at this. Like, yeah. So y'all go check that out. Sit back. It is on her YouTube channel. All these songs I'm talking about and the videos are on her YouTube channel. So you can make sure you go check it out as well. And then, of course, the last song, which I listened to and then I watched the video. And I'm let me say this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the dynamics of what go is going on in that video between... Y'all feeding each other. Y'all got hot dogs and chili. And, oh. <laughs> and and one girl's mad because you gave it to the other girl. And she's like, I'm good. And then you go, okay, then you give it to her. And she's like, other one's like, uh -uh. I'm like, what is going on in this video? Okay. So talk to us about You Will Never Know and the meaning behind that, behind that song. Yeah. So You Will Never Know. That one is something I think I've been wanting to do a song like that since I was a child. Um, so growing up, back to this weird paradox of I was too African to be Canadian, but I was too Canadian to be African. So I never fit in. If I go to the African community, they would be like, you're, you're not one of us. You speak too Canadian English. You're, you're too much of that. And yeah, you look too much like them and you walk too much like them and then go to the Canadians and the Canadians like, but you're black and <laughs> you're African. You're not, you're not one of us. Mm. So I didn't fit in. And so I kind of found myself in between there and find my own ground of, you know, how much African do I want to be? You know, I'm still going to eat my acida with my, you know, my mullah whatever I want to eat, but, you know, I'm, and I'm still going to wear the, the clothing, the kitenge, I'm going to wear all of that stuff, but I'm going to also show up at Canada Day with the Canadian flag, you know, and I'm, you know, I love Canada as well. I love America as well. I love the culture here. It's, it's kind of fused into my identity. So that song is basically saying that I am both, you know, I'm fully capable of being both. You know, um, I'm not just a girl from Juba. I'm also a girl from Toronto. You know, I'm not just a girl from a village. I'm also a girl from a metropolitan city. Um, 
you know, I'm not just African, I'm also a, a Canadian in a way. Mm -hmm. So, and in the video, uh, <laughs> so there's the food in there. There's mm -hmm. uh, the beans, uh, we call it full, and then there's the acida. So acida is very similar to fufu. Mm, okay. um, yeah, so it's one of our staple foods in uh, in South Sudan. You have your acida with the mula, which is like a, a thick soup, um, or you can have it with surba, which is soup. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember when I was in, um, like, th these are just our traditional foods. We make beda, which is eggs, and we fry it a certain way. When I first came to Canada in kindergarten, <laughs> uh, my first day at school, my parents packed me a sandwich with with the eggs, the beda mm -hmm. in it. And it was made just the way the South Sudanese make it. And I put a little bit of ketchup on the side and I was like, that was my favorite dish mm. ever. So I was so happy starting to eat it. And these two girls beside me, they look at me and they were like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't speak English at the time, so I couldn't explain that these are eggs. Mm. I couldn't explain to anybody what it was. I was just like, it's good. It's, it's like, yummy. Mm, good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they, ran, they ran and told the teacher. And the teacher comes by. <laughs> and the teacher looks at it. And the teacher's not sure what it is. So the teacher's kind of like, do you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Wow. And I was like, no, I actually really like this food here. Like, I really just want to eat mm -hmm. this in peace. And they're looking at me all concerned and just like they call my parents and they're like, do you know how to pack lunches for your, your child? And I'm like, how dare you? It was First just, of all, yeah. Yeah. you call me. Yeah. That. So in the video, yeah, in the video, it's that it's that dilemma. So you wow. have the, the African girl who's, you know, mm -hmm. she's into Asida and Fufu. She's not into a hot dog, you know? She right. doesn't want that, you know. She, she didn't want the hot girl. Dog. She's like, no, no. She wants her fufu, her asida, her her mula. Right. She wants all of that. Because the other girl, <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she she's not playing. Yeah. Whereas the other girl is not interested in looking at you know the asida or mm -hmm. you know anything African. She's like hot dogs, chips. This is Canadian food, and I'm gonna stick with this year, and. uh yeah, I've always been caught in between. I was always in between with with that. I had the friends on this side and this side, and it just, it just never worked. Wow. So the video was just basically encompassing that. Mm. Yeah, imagine, kudos to you for, for showcasing that in your video. And how many people may go through something similar like that, right? When, you, when, you, when you're dealing with maybe from a culture perspective, uh, it could even be a racial perspective, right? It could be, yeah. you know... A, 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 a black guy who's married a white woman and it's like you know there's all Ooh. these different cultures and trying to you know blend those together and you know and there's just all types of things that people may find themselves in based upon those i'll say not so much stereotypes but just from a culture perspective right and it's like no i don't yeah. you're not supposed to be that you're not supposed to, supposed to do that like when they say black people don't ski it's like <laughs> Yeah, okay, this black guy doesn't ski. This is You're not going to find me in skis anywhere. Any skis. But there's plenty of black people who ski. It's, it's not yeah, just like plenty. a white activity. Or black guys only play basketball. Like, no, there's a bunch of white guys. I mean, the majority of black people play basketball. When you look at the yeah. teams, they, they, they play basketball. But, you know, once again, it fits into, that, fits into that stereotype, but it's both. 
And I, mm -hmm. I don't think people really, really see that or understand that. Or they, I think they do. They see it. They just may not want to understand it or they may not even want to relate to it because they just figure that's just how, that's what black people do. That's what white people do. And it's like, no, why well, can't we do all of it? It, it, I feel like it's it's the easy way out. Mm -hmm. It's the easy way out. Because like for me, I, I remember when I started learning Russian, I, I think this is where the dynamic, where I realized, okay, maybe there's something that's I'm missing here. Um, mm. I would speak Russian. I'd greet someone in Russian and, you know, they would look at me shocked, just like beyond shocked, like their mind is completely, completely blown. And then they cannot speak back to me in Russian. They have to speak back to me in English because in their mind, it's been programmed that, you know, this person does not speak Russian and it mm -hmm. takes them. I remember a lot of my, some of my friends, it took them weeks to be able to even respond to me in Russian or speak to me in Russian because it was just too much for them to understand. Mm. But the one thing that came off of it was that, you know, I wound up becoming closer friends with them because what they said was that you learned our culture. Mm -hmm. you, you learned how to actually speak it, even if it's only a few sentences, even if it's only that you know which city is where mm -hmm. or how to pronounce our names properly. The fact that you took the time to learn my background. And then mm -hmm. what I found was they were also returning the favor and asking questions about South Sudan and they wanted to know at least the greeting. So I think for some people, it's just the easy way out is just to say, oh, no, you're not fitting into my world here. Mm. I don't want you here. Mm. Whereas I think it would be really interesting to see if people would just, you know, go and explore and say, OK, you're from a different culture. So what should I know right. about your culture? You know, how do I say hi? How do I pronounce your name properly? You know, what's the capital city of your country? Something like that. Okay. It just really opens up the dialogue. So, so how does that play itself within music? How does that, how, have, how, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll ask it that way. How does that play itself in, in, in the music industry, in the world that you're in? Ooh, so the way it plays <laughs> is that me doing pop, me doing rock, me doing opera, whichever genre I decide to do that morning. Um, a lot of the times, whenever I get into that genre, there's this like shock of like, no, this is not you. And, you know, you should be doing this and this and this it's it's that rigid mind in this for me it's like i want to explore every genre because i love i just love music and mm -hmm. for other some people it's just that they they only love their genre they only love what they love and it would be interesting to see if they could just kind of step out of that and maybe you know an opera singer can try some rock someday or mm -hmm. you know someone who sings in in chinese could try to sing in arabic one day you know imagine what that would be like right. if we could just mix it up mm. Yeah, because I, I, I think that's important. And for somebody as yourself who has a lot of different cultural perspectives and you have, uh, you know, a linguistic perspective as well from the different languages that you know, and I'm sure you probably incorporate those languages into your own, yeah. into your own music as well so that your, your audience is now broadened because now you are speaking Russian. They're like, wait a minute, she's speaking in Russian, but this song is cool and she's speaking in Russian. Okay. Right. And then you can speak to, you know, in your other dialects. But I think diversity in music as an artist is incredibly important because you're right. People get stuck. Oh, I'm, I just like trap. Like, I don't know why. But and it's like I just, I just guess you get stuck there and then you get pigeonholed into that one place, but you never can come out of it and you never can see beyond it to really appreciate other types and other styles of of music, because 
I think it's You Will Know. It has a rock feel to it, right? Is yeah. It, is it, is it you? Yep. And so as, I, as I'm... Right. So as I'm, so, but the beginning doesn't sound like that. The beginning doesn't. The beginning doesn't sound like it's, it's good. Like she's about to hit you with a rock bomb. It does not. Yeah. And then, it, and then it goes into. And she's. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, it switched up. And I wasn't, and I was not expecting that. I was like, oh, okay. But it speaks to that eclecticness. It speaks to your embrace of other cultures and other styles of music. And how you incorporate those into into that because that's who you are as a as a person, right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's how I I, I grew up. Uh, one thing is coming from South Sudan to uh, to Canada, especially Saskatchewan. One thing um, at that time there was no internet, so it was all whatever's on the radio. Look, and on I the radio that. they had, yeah. You remember <laughs> no, it very no, well. No. You got to get that cassette and you got to record. I do. I do. I was telling my son so, that. So I'm going to interrupt. My son and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. He was like, Dad, you remember when there was no internet? I was like, I do. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, there was no internet. Like, wow. No internet. But no, no, yeah. Yeah, no internet. <laughs> no internet. So you had to like listen to the radio and there's three channels on the radio and one's opera, the other's country, the other's like rock, golden rock, and then the other's, you know, uh, pop and top 40. And then you know, you're listening to all of that. Then the internet came kind of like midway uh, through my adventure with music. And by then it's like, I've been exposed to golden rock. Like I was listening to ACDC, Metallica. I had Metallica's albums. I was wait, wait, what you, know, what you know about Metallica though? <laughs> Metallica. Right? I don't listen to them anymore. So now I'm just like, and I was like, when I was like 10, I loved, mm. loved, loved Metallica. And then I loved country, which I couldn't confess out loud mm. to people. Otherwise, that was that was a disaster. Hey, hey I went to a Shania Twain concert, and so oh, she, she killed. She killed it. She killed the whole concert. Shania. I was like, "What is this?" Feel this like is Shania. Me. Yeah, she she killed. She killed it. She had this whole walk thing where she would turn around. This thing, feeling like what? She killed it. But anyway, yeah, hey, I went to a yeah. I'm kind of like Shania. you. I'm classical. I'm 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 rock. I like I listen to Metallica and Nirvana yes. and Guns N' Roses, Nirvana. ACDC, right? The Goldies, and Bon right? Jovi. Uh, oh I like yeah, the whole whole list. But but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you listed pretty much all the ones that I listened to in high school, and then before that, it was like Yondo Sister, Kanda Bongo Man, Sukus music, mm. High Life music, South African music, music from everywhere. I think at one point I was listening to Cambodian music. Um, just out of curiosity, this is like when the internet started to actually, you know, start, I would go and just download a whole list of music. I don't know. I, I didn't even know what, who was, if the artist was, I'm like, oh, there's some music here. Let me download it. And the first conversation I'd have with people were like, what are you listening to? And then they'll tell me and I'll go Google it and download the whole album and start listening and just like, okay, this is interesting. Yeah, let, me, let, me, let me download it from Napster. No, I'm joking. <laughs> From lime Napster. wire. From lime. Oh, lime wire. Lime wire. Hey, hey, look. Yes. Back in the day, we were downloading from lime wire and Napster. Straight, straight yeah. peer, to, peer to peer sharing. We sure was. Uh oh. Hey. Are we gonna get caught? <laughs> nah, because they were doing it too. So don't exactly. Hear it. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I mean, so we all have that type of experience uh, when it comes to to that, you know, that broadening of one's musical palette 
and I think if more people had that, it, you know, it's, it's, it was great to see like an artist like Little Nas X take a country song and make it and blow it up to what it became. And and I mean, even though he's not the first person to do something like that, and I mean, we had those things in, in history, you know, with Run DMC and Aerosmith coming together to make Walk This Way, right? And kind of the first blend of hip hop and rock kind of together. But, yeah. you know, when you start to infuse those those type of genres, you kind of open up the doors for a lot of different people to really tune into what to what you are you are doing. And I'm telling you now, ladies and gentlemen, you are going to tune into what Imani Ilfater is doing. Trust me, because tr go go watch the higher video, listen to it, and then go watch the sit back. You're going to be like, what? It's completely, it's completely will blow your mind. I, I can guarantee you that. And so, so Imani, let, let me ask you this. Um, and, and hopefully you'll mention it as, as I ask you this question. So, so for you, what were the top three things that you wish you knew before you even got started in this industry, or maybe things that when you got stuck, when you got into it, you were like, "Oh, I wish I knew that before I even jump into this whole thing." Okay. So, I think the one thing that I wish I knew was how. how no, that one would be the second thing. Um, the one thing I wish I knew is how much support you're going to need. You're going to need a lot of people behind you. For me, I did a lot of this on my own and I've been trying to kind of like push my career by myself. And it wasn't until I realized like, you know what, I need to change up my friends because these friends are not supporting, you know, get away from the family because family's not really supporting. But, you know, in the industry, you're, you're literally in a business non-stop you are a business now you you have to show your face of like you know i am the artist i'm the you know presenting something i am the product in a way and a lot of the times people aren't going to speak to you like you're human people aren't going to you know actually have your back for real because all they see is that that image that you put out so you need to have people who are behind you who see you as a human you know who can be by your side as a human not as a you know manager or as a you know someone who's trying to get something for you you need that like emotional support uh so that's one thing that i would tell everybody number two is um going back i guess on the image you got to really develop your image because that's really what propels you into your career um so you got to build your persona build build who you are uh preferably before you get into into the industry but you know you got to really develop that. And then three, if you are not not going to be persistent, if you're not going to be tenacious, if you're not going to keep pushing and trying and you're going to pause for 11 months and then work hard for one month, don't do it. Mm. Don't do it. Stay away. You need to be working every single day in order for you to be able to even get one step ahead. So, yeah, there's no laziness <laughs> in this industry. <laughs> There is no laziness in this yeah. industry. That's mm -hmm. right. You, you, and you got to work. You got to work your tail off. Oh, yeah. If you truly want to make it, it's, it's not a, oh, I just go to sleep one night. I make a song. I go to sleep, wake up, and it's the biggest song in the world. It doesn't happen that way. And oh. I think I think people do think it's, it happens that way, but it doesn't. And so. Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of it, too. When I, when I was younger, I just thought, you know, you just go to the studio and then. You finish at the studio and the next week they call you to come on stage and then you're done. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? 
but no, it's like nonstop. It's like six hours of practicing dance moves, the same dance moves for six hours. And then you sleep for four hours and then you got to get up and then do another interview. And then you got to, you know, run things by your team and you got to do all these phone conversations. And, you know, it sounds difficult, but you also have to really love it too. You have to love it at the same time. So if you're not prepared for that, you know, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it if you're not ready. You know, and and, yeah. and I think that goes along with you got to have tough skin. So oh, yeah. You, yeah. you, you got to have tough skin. And so you can't be lazy and you got to have tough yeah. skin. That's right. Tough skin. That's really right. tough skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I hear there's an album on the way. Something yeah. by the name of Divine. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us about about the new album and what can we expect and when can we expect it? Yes, yeah, so we're 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 aiming for an early June uh, release. Um, the album oh, two Divine. It, yeah, two months. It's I'm ready to really go. I go. want to release it tomorrow. I was talking to my team today and I just like, you know what, let's just drop it. Let's just drop it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want to make sure that it's like at the top, top best quality possible. Mm -hmm. um, but the album's called Divine. Um, it honestly it's it was three years of thinking about how to make this album during pandemic and everything and i i, I was stuck for ideas to be honest i think some people like nikki minaj was mentioning that she was also you know stuck and and had no ideas for albums and everything like that so i had my nikki minaj moment and uh then i got offered this trip to go to uh to south sudan back after 30 years and the moment I got on the plane, so many ideas, so many thoughts, so many sounds just came into my head. And the album was written in like less than a month. Um, so yeah. the album contains all of that. And I would call it kind of like the, the self-realization album. Mm. Um, it's It's got a mix of literally everything, the genre mix that uh, <laughs> that you mentioned before, but also mm -hmm. it's mixed in with more more Arabic juba. Um, I know a lot of my fans were saying, hey, you know, you should do more of your, your traditional language. And so I decided to put that in there, um, talk more about the experiences in, in Africa and experiences in Canada as well. So very, I'm so excited. I can't wait to, to, to hey, release it. We can't wait either. <laughs> So let's yeah. go. Drop it. Drop it tonight at midnight. Let's just, you know I what? I'm dropping it. Dropping it. <laughs> but sometime in June, we can yes. expect a, a new album by the name of Divine by Imani yes. Ilfated. And so I think that's going to, yes. I, I, I'm i not going to share it. I'm not going to share what, what just popped in my head because it's an idea that I have uh -huh. about something that I may want to do in the future. Okay. For for, cool. ind for for independent artists, we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna keep that in my brain for the for the moment. Yeah, I can see the idea. Swirling. Yeah, you can see like <laughs> yeah. steam coming off. So, yes, but, <laughs> it's a good idea. I can see. <laughs> it's a good it's a good idea. That's yeah. right. And so so excited for the album, and you know I always tell everybody please make sure you support every guest that come onto the show. Right now it's Amani Ilfated. So please make sure you check out her music. Please make sure when Divine drops in June sometime, she's going to give us a date whenever it comes. We're going to see it on Instagram, something. We're going to have a date. And then we can know, we can pre-order it, I'm, I'm assuming, 
And yes. then it'll be available for everybody to code and purchase and to support, uh, which I think is going to bless you, uh, especially if it sounds like what I heard. Go to her YouTube channel. Right? I should tell you all that in a minute, but go to her YouTube channel. Check it all out and make sure you can listen to. I have a feeling yes. you're going to pick up the co the first single. I know you're going to pick up the phone or you're going to send me an email and say, what? Oh, here we like, go. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. Can't wait. Can't yes. wait. That's right. So, so Amani, tell people where they can connect with you and find your music. Besides YouTube, I mentioned YouTube, but you know, I'm sure there's other places. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, everyone, you can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, on Twitter, pretty much all the social mediums out there uh, using the handle Amani Ill Fated. Uh, so, I think you can see it down there on the screen, um, but it's A M A N I E space l i sorry i l l f a t e d just in case you're listening in um so you can find me again all social media instagram facebook youtube and you can also find me on uh, spotify as well apple music all of the streaming platforms yeah y'all make sure y'all do that yeah uh, you know everybody <laughs> will do that support yeah. support independent artists they are working yeah. hard they don't have the the, the backing of a major label Support independent artists because we are out here paying for everything. So support. Make sure you yeah, buy whatever. Don't LimeWire and Napster, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> make sure you don't don't do it. That's right. That's right. But make sure you support. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome, right? Awesome. I'm telling you. Make sure you support Amani, but make sure you go check out Hire and you check out Sitback. And you're gonna be pleasantly surprised with the eclecticness that Amani brings to, to the table, to this industry. Uh, but I appreciate Amani being here tonight, sharing her story with us, and just making this a great, a great conversation. Thank you very much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate all of you.